Hi, welcome to Swordnut Radio. If you want to get in touch with us, email swordnutradio at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Swordnut Radio. This episode is a short story continuing on from episode 28, Waiting, and is entitled A Light Goes On. Ellen sat on the bed in what had been Stephen's room at the Westgate Inn, one leg folded in front of her, mulling over objects spread on the mattress. A set of saddlebags contained assorted clothing that was of good quality, but not that valuable. A wash kit held a razor, brush, soap cake, and a short stick with pig bristles sticking out at right angles at one end. Ellen had seen a couple of these things before in a minor noble's house, but hadn't been able to figure out what they were used for. A bedroll was wrapped in a large wax cloth that was sewn into a tube, sealed at one end, and which could probably do a good job at keeping the rain off. The sword wrapped in the bedroll was not totally unexpected, but seemed odd when seen with the sheet of parchment that she had found in the bottom of the left saddlebag. The parchment was a letter of credit for one of the larger money houses in the city, to the tune of 500 gold, enough to support several families for a year. The document had not been altered, so had not been drawing money from the account. If he had, the balance would be crossed out and replaced. He was rich, but travelled light. Perhaps he wanted to start a business concern here. The note said he came from Kerava, which was a small, well-to-do city up in the northeast, with a lot of trading links to the capital. The sword was not one she would expect from someone with that much wealth to carry. The traditional sabre had fallen out of fashion, with nobles going for the new, longer, straight swords from Buren. He did not even have a baldrick or belt to hang it from. Perhaps he was to convey the money, or complete a cash transaction for someone else. In short, there was nothing of great value in Stephen's belongings save the note, and she could not spare the time to have a forger copy it with her name as the payee. She stuffed the wash kit and clothes into saddlebags, rewrapped the sword in the bedroll and wax cloth, and left the room. Ellen had long ago picked up the habit of pausing to listen before opening any door. It was a hard discipline to learn, but it had stopped a great many jobs going belly up before now. There was no sound. Ellen opened the door and walked down the hall to a window, opened it, and stepped onto the projecting roof of the stable block, keeping close to the wall. Sounds of people walking down the hallway drifted through the green tin glass of the window. The sounds were wrong, though. There were no footfalls, just the creak of floorboards and occasional swish of clothing. Someone was creeping around in there. Ellen waited. More than one, she thought to herself, as the sound got marginally closer. She resisted the temptation to try stealing a glance through the window. It was dark in the hallway, and the moons were full and half tonight, so she wouldn't see a thing. Besides, it was only going to be one set of people. They had come looking for the man who dropped them earlier had most probably knocked the landlord around to find out which room he was in, and were about to walk into an empty room. Ellen had even straightened the sheets. She took Stephen's saddlebags and rolled with the sword in it off her shoulders and into her hands, poised, waiting for the right moment. There was a moment's pause in the noise from the hallway. Ellen took a breath and threw. The bags sailed through the cold night air in a long, still silence that made the air clearer and the world seem brittle. When they landed, the ground would shatter into crystal shards. The cool air in Ellen's lungs felt as it were from a different place. This was fear. Glorious fear. Stephen's things hit the ground of the stable yard just as the door was forced in. 
Ellen trotted to the edge of the roof and lowered herself, using the noise in the hall to cover her. Picking up the things, she ducked into a stall and began doing up the toggles of her skirt, making it into trousers. She untucked her tunic, letting it fall to the knee. A pocket in her undershirt contained a small, conical wool cap, under which she stuffed her hair with a short strip of leather. She put the saddlebags over one shoulder and sauntered out across the yard with the bedroll held in one hand, resting on the same shoulder. She was careful to keep her elbow slightly turned out and swing her shoulders a bit with her stride. The man who walked out of the yard had a relaxed, meandering gait, like he had nowhere to go and plenty of time to get there. He had probably arrived in the city that day, judging by the saddlebags and bedroll over his shoulder. He wandered across Westgate, into a smaller side street that held a few bakers and a brewery. Some people came out of the Westgate Inn in a hurry, and passed the man on their way to the richer part of town. Idiots, thought Ellen. No man on point, not even looking around to see who's watching them. As they turned onto a street that would take them near to the Palace Square, she ducked into a small recess between two buildings. This was a very old part of the city, and debris from the continual rebuilding of timber houses had collected in these spaces. She took hold of a collection of shattered planks that came away in one mass. She pulled aside the dark grey oily cloth sheet behind the wood to reveal a void. It was big enough for a person to curl up in, if you didn't mind taking a few splinters in the process. She stashed Stephen's belongings into the hidey hole. Pausing for a second, she removed a long dust coat from one of the bags and followed after the goons who had tried to kill her an hour ago. They trudged rather than hurried through the night. Their boots scraped along the sandstone gravel that made up the street surface in this part of the city. Ellen had already changed her appearance, now wearing the dust coat and affecting a slight, almost unnoticeable limp. They hadn't looked back yet, but you couldn't be too careful. As they turned another corner, Ellen realised where they were going. It was a long shot, but if she got there first, she would be able to eavesdrop on the goings-on. If she was behind them, she would learn nothing. She waited for them to get out of sight, then turned right into an alley between a tailor shop and a merchant's home and ran. Ellen paused before the junction to the main road and steadied her breathing. She took the arms of the dust coat, turned them inside out and put it on her shoulders as a cloak. The hat had reappeared and was turned out to have a short upturned brim at the sides and rear. She walked across the road in a slight hurry, glancing out of the corner of her eye down the street. Hack and the Mackham's goons were nowhere to be seen. Taking a place behind a water butt, she settled in for a wait. This was the home of the Mackham's boss, a tailor to all appearances, living in the affluent northeast of the city, but a crime lord behind closed doors. Ellen had found out his identity a year ago, following a gang who had turned up in one of her more freelance jobs and taken the mark before her. Now she sat on a crate, behind a barrel, wearing an uncomfortable cap and a dust coat that was far too big, just around the corner from his front door. She did not have to wait long. Hack left the group huddled in the shadow where two houses met, one jutting out ahead of the other in a drunken lurch, head first into the street. Ellen heard him knock at the door. No coded rhythm or password here. The grunts were obviously not supposed to frequent this area. What's got them so rattled? Ellen queried of the darkness shrouding her. To disturb the boss at home was going to get someone in trouble. No matter how urgent the business. By appearing here, Hack risked exposing his employer's underworld connection to his neighbours. Whatever was to follow would be interesting. After a long, silent pause, during which Hack did not repeat his knock, the door opened a crack. Words were exchanged across the slit of yellow light, but no sounds made it to Ellen. As the dwarf began what looked to be a shrug, he was pulled bodily into the house, with the door shutting behind him quickly and quietly. 
Ellen settled in for a wait. She knew she would never have overheard any useful information exchanged between Hack and his benefactor. She guessed she was about half an hour late getting back to the boys, but then, this might just pay off. Nate had the sense to wait for her, but the idiot with a death wish might do something stupid again. It was a good thing he showed up, as it had given them the opportunity to escape, but Ellen made it a policy never to be thankful for stupidity. She resented having to look after him, but Nate had a point. They did owe him. Bollocks. Why does everything get complicated when he gets soft? If not for Nate's insistence on bringing the idiot with them, Ellen would have left him to fend for himself in a heartbeat and never regretted it. You had to look out for yourself in this game. Then again, if she had not gone back to the inn for his kit, she would not have had this opportunity to find out something about her predicament. Barely enough time had passed for Ellen's arse to get numb on the wooden splinter-filled crate in the alley before Hack reappeared. He was walking at a fair pace, with a characteristic dwarven glide that seemed to cover more distance than a human jogging. He walked straight past the other goons, who followed in short order. Ellen permitted a smirk to cross her face at the thought of the bee in Hack's ear over losing his marks and on intruding on his boss's repose. Not a great career move. See you around, Stumpy. Better luck next time. A lull in the noises of the night signalled Ellen's time to move. Getting up, the crate squealed a bit, but that would be a normal background noise on any night. She did not want it squealing at the wrong time, though. Say, when someone about six foot tall was coming out of the yard next door but one to the house she had been watching, especially when that someone was the illustrious leader of the Mackhams. Ellen slipped into the shadows and the eaves of the house, and ran as quietly as she could as the figure disappeared around a corner. He was certainly going to be careful not to be followed. At last, thought Ellen, a challenge. This story was written by Paul Bennett and Robert Sanderson, and is copyright 2015. The song was Shards of Glass by Louis Barabbas and the Bedlam Sets. Any comments, questions, or feedback, please get in touch with us at swordnutradio at gmail.com, that's swordnutradio at gmail.com, or on Twitter at swordnutradio. Thanks for listening.